This week on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture, Father Leo Blasey talks about fear and anxiety in a first world culture. How does our culture contribute to our fears and anxieties? How can we counter the culture? Well, let's find out. Father Leo Blasey is being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, Ken Billinger. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. O glorious Saint Joseph, model of all those who are devoted to labor, obtain for me the grace to work conscientiously, putting the call of duty above my natural inclinations, to work with gratitude and joy in a spirit of penance for the remission of my sins, considering it an honor to employ and develop by means of labor the gifts received from God, to work with order, peace, moderation, and patience, without ever shrinking from weariness and difficulties, to work above all with purity of intention, and to detach myself, having always death before my eyes, and the account that I must render of time lost, of talents wasted, of good omitted, of vain complacency and success, so fatal to the work of God. All for Jesus, all through Mary, all after thine, thine example, O Patriarch St. Joseph, such shall be my motto in life and in death. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Father. The topic this afternoon, fear and anxiety in a first world culture. And so uh, we're going to talk, and I noticed there's not a lot of questions here, so I'm assuming that you, uh, going you've got a lot that you're going to run with. This well, I'm gonna, I've got enough to run with, but if you have questions, please feel free to, okay. to come in as I'm talking about things, and that way we can do clarification or whatever it is that that might be helpful to that. So I have no problem with interruptions. Obviously, it's been very um, evident uh, over the last few months just with this pandemic, something that's really been unprecedented. And people um, early on, just you could see some of the panic going on. But let's yeah. talk a little bit about that. Yeah, it, it really amazes me how when you, you look at people and the way they react to things in our culture, um, and it's not just American culture. It's it's many of the first world countries that that have expectations of things that are going to be there, and when they're not there for them, it basically wrecks their whole life. And and I've seen people that have just reacted badly to the sense of loss that they've experienced through these events. So so I thought it would be a good topic to talk about. So we're, to start with, um, I'm going to ask you to. to to feed in here a little bit. Mm -hmm. if, if somebody asked you to define fear and anxiety, what would you say? Um, lack of faith in God. Okay. Um, where do they come from? Where Fear and anxiety? Mm -hmm. I think just, uh, um, you know, I, I in some ways I think uh, the devil can play a role in that as far as, you know, putting fear, uh, putting doubt, those type things. So that would be... That would be my first my first okay. thought in it anyway, and and that, I would say that's correct. Um, but what I'm really looking for is that um, fear and anxiety are emotions, mm. and emotions come from inside of us. Um, they basically they're based on how we react to things and and the way we anticipate 
things going in our life. So God gave us our emotions, and he expects us to use them properly. You know, um, the difference between humans is we have and, and animals is we have an intellect and animals don't. So animals react with basically they just do things based on, on what they've learned from mm-hmm. previous things in their life on instinct. But humans react based on instinct with knowledge and, and perception included in that. And so, you know, we, we express fear, we express anxiety, we express anger, we express love in a way that other animals do not. And we have to understand where those things come from and then what God expects us to do with those things if we're going to respond properly to, to those things. And so been to a lot of counseling classes and stuff like that, and the, the main thing that especially secular counselors will tell you is that, that emotions are, are neither negative or positive. They just are. And I think that needs a little bit of clarification. Emotions, our, our prime initial reaction to an emotional event is exactly that. It's neutral. We, we accept a, um, an input from, from whatever it is outside, and then the way that we react to that, we react to it. It's just, it's, the first initial reaction is pretty much instinctual. But then we have to ask ourselves, okay, I, I recognize this. It's something that has brought my system to a, a, a different level than normal, and how do I react to that? And it's the way that we react to those emotions that can be either good or bad, um, simplifying or problematic um, in the way that we, we go through those things. So so anxiety, fear, um, hatred, those emotions, if we allow them to work on us in a negative way, they, they, they are bad. But our culture today doesn't understand good or bad or good or evil anymore because our culture has decided that emotion is, is how we live our lives. The way that we feel about things is the truth for us. You see that in, in the, the homosexual discussions that are going on. Um, just, you know, what you feel is your truth, and you're allowed to have your truth regardless of whether it makes sense to anybody else or not. Mm-hmm. And then our culture says, but you have to accept that other person's truth as well. Mm-hmm. If it's real for them, then, then you have to say, well, that's okay, and they can live the way they want to live, and, and you're supposed to support them in that. But the reality of it is that feelings are, are very unreliable, um, especially if we don't educate ourselves to what the things are that we, we make our decisions on. Feelings can be very destructive if we, if we allow them to be. Typically, when we're talking about fear and anxiety, when we get past the initial point, the initial reaction of an event, um, those things are destructive because they, they tear us down and, and they draw us away from, from being able to, to do the good and to put virtue into those events. And so, so we look at the, the events that have happened because of this pandemic and, and what has happened to our culture. And, you know, it's, it's interesting that, that we've never had 
a more isolated populace than we have today with the with their cell phones and with all the the electronic devices and the, the games and stuff going on but as soon as you are mandated to to remove yourself from from other people you, there's a panic i would add, i would say that many of our teenagers are are no more separated or isolated today than they were six weeks ago right other than the fact that somebody's told them that they have to be that way mm -hmm. and so that's because that's different they they panic because of it and they 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 struggle with it so then the church is closed down and and many catholic friends of mine just responded based on panic because that because it's it's change and we don't like change mm -hmm. and we have rights in the United States, especially, but in many of the first world countries, there are expectations of freedom to do what we want to do. And as soon as that's impinged on, we react badly, or we feel that it's impinged on, even if it's not really impinged on. We react badly to it. So the, the bishops told us that we couldn't receive communion anymore, and they told us that we couldn't go to, to regularly scheduled masses. and. What was our response to that? Well, they can't take that right away from me. That's my right. And and they just I I heard some some very bad things to, said about bishops because of the way that people felt about that response. But the reason that I I designated this as a, a first world culture problem is because uh, I can give you an example. Um, little town in the mountains, a population of about 200 people in the vicinity of this little community. And that community normally only expects to see a priest once a year. The priest comes in, he does all the baptisms when he's there in that, in that one visit a year. He, he consecrates all the marriages and he does all the other things that, that the priest is required to do in that single visit. And nobody thinks anything about it. Where do you, you suppose that community is at? Where in the world? Uh, I'm not sure. It's little towns all over in the mountains in Mexico and all mm. through Central and South America and in a number of places in the, the islands, in the, the Indochina area, and, mm. and even in the Philippines, there are places where people only get to see their priest once a year. They get to go to confession and they receive communion, and they don't think anything about that because that's their normal and they're grateful to have the priest come when he's able to come and to do the things that that they need him to do that only he can do and so those are all mostly third world areas areas that that don't have major populations in a lot of general areas and um, but i mean mexico you go 200 miles away 300 miles away from these villages in mexico and you've got Mexico City, and they've got a big population, and they've got masses on a regular basis. Um, so those are in that same country in Mexico where you have in the in the larger population areas uh, regular access to the church and, and the ministries. But you don't have to go too far away from there to see people that are isolated from from their ability to, to have mass and, and to do the sacraments on a regular basis. But that's normal for them you know it's it's an expectation that they have 
The problem is that in, in first world countries where we're able to travel and we're able to, to do places, we have major infrastructures and highways where we can, can get back and forth. We have expectations of, of what it is that, that we, we should have and we should have access to. Mm -hmm. And when that gets changed, even though what we have is still far greater than, than some of the third world country populations have, we feel like we're being deprived. Absolutely. It has been uh, quite a change, and, and, and it's rather interesting. And I, I obviously feel for the bishops because the challenges that they face as well. And you just talked about the fact that there are places in the mountains of Mexico and other areas of the world that people receive the, re receive the Eucharist just once a year, uh, reconciliation. That's kind of hard to imagine, you know, when you think about it. Um, so we are certainly blessed, but oftentimes we become a little bit spoiled, I guess, in our ways because of the things that we do have. So let's talk a little bit more about fear and anxiety, and, and uh, I'll let you continue on there as well. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm glad you used the word spoiled because that's a, that really is part of the issue that in, what we're, in the way that we're dealing with this right now is because we do tend to be spoiled. We, like I said, we have expectations. And we want them to be mad. Um, American culture, we, we're a, a culture of instant gratification. We want what we want, and we want it now. So anytime that's impinged upon or, or we feel that it's taken away from us, then, then it causes problems for us. But e And even in, though we're in a culture where everything changes from, from week to week and month to month, we, we get new computer programs, new devices, new, new ways to do TV, and... We don't like change. We like to be able to do things the way that we like to do them. And when something else is imposed on us, then we really struggle with that. And when we feel like it's unjustly imposed on us, then that makes it even worse for us. So we, you know, we, re we tend to react badly, and, and oftentimes we react just like spoiled children. And we say, that you can't do that when Actually, yes, it can be, and, and it has been done. So, mm -hmm. But then we get bitter because we, we say, well, they shouldn't have done that to us. That's, you know, that's not right. So, But I would say that any time that we have a change that, that comes upon us, whether it's imposed or whether it's just a, a reality of life, we need to evaluate it. We need to, to step back and look at it and ask ourselves, first off, what does God want us to, to learn from this? And if we can do that, then the first thing that's going to do is, is take the edge off that anxiety right off the bat. You know, again, as American Catholics, we, we live on the edge of two cultures. We live within our religious culture, and then we also live in our secular culture. And we have to, to try to keep those two in sync with each other. Ideally, we would be able to take those two cultures and, and meld them into one and, and live our lives in the best way that we can according to our Catholic faith in our secular culture. But unfortunately, our secular culture in the United States has, has gone so far awash from, from what the truth is that, that we can't always do that. And so when we, when we have something within our, our secular culture that, that has an impact on our religious culture, it throws us into a, 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 a turmoil, a, a struggle of, of how can we keep this the way that we need to keep it 
and still be able to do what the secular culture says we have to do. And largely this pandemic is a, sec- a secular issue. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, if it wasn't for the, the broader culture, we wouldn't have a problem within the church that this pandemic is causing a problem for. But because we live in a, a global culture where we were able to travel back and forth very rapidly um, and almost constantly, we have people coming and going and, you know, flying out into to this country and, and flying back. And, you know, early on in this thing, we had the, the cruise ships and the ocean liners that were, were having trouble with, with the disease and everything. Um, because we live in a, in a culture that, that's very mobile and very active, we, we have this issue. You know, if we were 100 years ago and living in western Kansas, where it was largely farm families and, and we rarely got outside of the, the county that we were born in, this pandemic wouldn't be an issue at all. Yeah. But because we're able to move around quickly, rapidly, halfway around the world one day and back the next day, um, the secular world has, has impacted our, our religious ability to, to do the things in the church that, that we would like to be able to do. And, and most of the time we feel that it's our responsibility to do. You know, we all, th- at whatever level, we believe that we're supposed to go to Mass. Um, and, and good Catholics believe that we're supposed to go to Mass every week. So when that's impinged upon, we have a problem with that. You know, can't take that away from us. Uh, many Catholics believe that any time they go to Mass, they should be allowed to receive the Eucharist. And that's just become the norm in the, the life of, of American Catholics for mm-hmm. the last almost 100 years now, is that if you go to Mass, you, you should be able to go to communion. Um, so now we've been told that, first off, we can't go to Mass, we can't attend the church, and we can't receive the Eucharist. Even if there's some other opportunity to receive the Eucharist, we've been told that we can't do that. Now, those decisions were finally made by the bishops. And I think that with the evaluations that the bishops did and their understanding of, of the safety of the people, I, I think they made the right choices when they made the choices for the, for the good of their, their people and for the good of the church. Um, you can interpret that differently, and you can you know, disagree with me on, on that opinion. That is my opinion mm-hmm. of my evaluation of what the bishops decided to do and when they decided to do it. So whether you disagree or agree with that, now we look and we say, okay, well, how do we go forward? And the bishops are doing the best job that they can to evaluate the situation and, and try to make sure that we can care for the, the flock in the best way without putting them at unreasonable risk. Like it or not, the majority of, of the good, solid Catholics that go to Mass every week and receive communion every time they go to Mass, they're in that group that are at risk, you know, over 60 years old, um, one or, or more medical issues that that can be problematic. And so the bishops have to say, you know, either, yeah, we can make this work or no, this is too risky and and we have to, to put some, some protections in place so that we can make sure that we don't lose people unnecessarily just to, to say that we're allowing them to go to church. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
there's a, there's a large part of our population that says I should be able to decide for myself whether I want to put myself at that risk or not. And to a certain point, I can say that I agree with that. Um, I think a hundred years ago, I might have agreed with that more. A um, hundred years ago, before the uh, the entirety of American culture bought into modernism, there was a thing called common sense, and and people tended to use common sense to make decisions. and And usually, if you think, if you look, evaluate something, and you think about the the pros and the cons, you can come up with a, a reasonable decision. But but our culture today when bought into relativism in in modernism and we threw away common sense and so now you have to really ask yourself um, who's going to do the evaluating okay. and the bishops have decided at a, at a certain point they decided that they had to make those decisions yeah um, so we talked a little bit ago about the the majority of our our regular churchgoers being in the 60 and above age group um and we could say, okay, if you're 60 and above, you stay at home. If you're if you're in the the younger group, the younger age group, and you're safe, then then you can go to mass and, and receive the sacraments. But then you got to turn around and, and look at the priest, especially in this diocese. Who are our priests? A number are over 60. 80 to 85 percent of them are, are well over 60. And many of them have at least one or two complications that that could be problematic with this virus. So just because we have a, a large group of young people that would like to go to Mass, do we put the priest at risk? Uh, now, a valid argument is that it's the priest's obligation to, to bring the sacraments to the people. But... If we go and, and expose all the priests to the virus and they all get get sick and we lose 80% of our priests, now who's going to bring the sacraments to the people? Mm. So we have to use common sense. We have to allow prudence to be involved in, in the way that we do this. And I think the bishops are really making an effort to be prudent in, in the things that they put out. They're not just putting out mandates to, to go along with the government. They're not just putting out mandates to... To make things easy for them, as a matter of fact, you know, you, you talked about that a little bit ago. How the bishops are, are struggling with this. Uh, they're never going to make everybody happy. Right. It, it doesn't matter no, what they decide. It. They're never going to make everybody happy. So they've got to to just act on the side of prudence and make decisions based on on what is the best for all the people, not just a a, a particular group or you know. Um, particular sect of, of the, the population, they've got to make general decisions because this is a this affects the whole population. Whether it's critical to part of the population or not, this pandemic is affecting all of us. And seventy percent of the people under forty that, that get the disease don't even know that they've got it. And that's good for them. But the problem is that you can have it and spread it without knowing that you have it. Right. And and that's even more dangerous than, than having a disease that, you know, okay, chicken pox. If you get chicken pox, you get red spots on your skin. You know you've got it, and everybody around you knows that you have it. Mm. 
but with this virus the way that it is if you can if you can be around 15 or 20 people that have the virus and none of them know they have it and you don't know that they have it um, that's a that's a real risk that has to be evaluated and you know like it or not that risk is out there absolutely We need to take a short break right now, but stay tuned to Divine Mercy Radio. Whether you're listening via radio, internet, smartphone app, or smart speakers, please know. We'll be right back with more about fear and anxiety in a first world culture with Father Leo Blasey. We're back on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. Father Leo Blasey. Fear and anxiety in a first world culture. Ken Billinger conducts the interview. Fear and anxiety in a first world culture is the topic. Our guest is Father Leo Blasey. And and Father, we uh, have talked about a number of things, especially, obviously, with, with this whole pandemic and that, uh, that fear, that anxiety, and obviously talking a little bit about some frustration, too, because of, of having to deal with some of the issues now because of this p- particular pandemic. So I'm going to, if you've got a few more things you want to share, I'm going to let you uh, jump back in. Sure. Um, I alluded to it earlier. Um, what do we do with fear and anxiety? When we have these feelings, these emotions, and we, we're not sure what to do with them, how do we respond to that? And, and again, the first thing that we, we do is we respond in prayer. We, we go to God and we ask Him to, to help us with, with the grace and understanding of, of the way that we're supposed to respond to this in our lives, the way that we're living them now. Um, sometimes that, the re- response to that is you gotta change the way that you're living. You know, uh, we need to pray more. We need to recognize that, that we can't just continue to live within this culture and, and abide by everything that this culture is putting out on us. So we, we have to be willing to change and we have to be willing to, to give it to God. And if we look at the scripture and, and what, is the script, what do the scriptures tell us about fear and anxiety, um, basically over and over again, Jesus tells us, don't worry. Don't allow fear to run your life. Don't be anxious over anything. And so, you know, we read those places in scriptures and say, well, well, I've got fear and anxiety every day of my life. It's just, it's part of who I am in the culture that I'm in. So, again, we've got to differentiate feelings from actions. So, Jesus isn't condemning our our reaction to a, an event and the feelings that we feel on those things, those are given to us by God. But it's the way we react to those fears and those anxieties, those frustrations, that's going to help us to either get through this or it's going to drag us down into the depths. And so we, we ask God to, to show us what it is that he wants us to learn from these events in our lives. And if we if we learn to do that on a regular basis, daily or multiple times daily, then it makes things so much easier and it makes life just, you know, less of a drudgery when we can give it to God and say, "Okay, what are what are you wanting me to learn from this today? What do you want me to learn from this in this hour?" 
I've dealt with a number of people that, that have had addictions, and, and within the, the resolution programs for addictions, there's a prayer called the Serenity Prayer. Very powerful prayer, and I think that every Christian, I think every person should be familiar with that prayer and understand basically what it's saying. And, and what it is doing is it's focusing the person that's praying it on the fact that there are some things in my life that I can change. And those things I need to evaluate and, and make decisions on how to do those things the best way that I can. But there are some things in my life that are going to happen to me that I cannot change. And I have to be able to recognize those things too. But then I have to learn to put those things aside and say, okay, this is going to happen. I can't change it the way that it's going to happen. So I'm just going to live everything around that event in the best way that I can so that it has the least impact on me that it can possibly have. And then the final part of that prayer is to have the wisdom to know the difference between the things that you can change and the things that you cannot change. We, we like to, at least me, and I know many people say that this, the same thing, we like to be in control, and oftentimes we are not in control, and we don't trust God enough, and that's, that's where the real struggle begins. So uh, share with us a little more, if you would, on, on more on fear and anxiety. Well, I thought it was really interesting that the discussion last hour with Dave Denuzzo was was faith, and that faith is an action. Action is the is the way that God calls us to respond to everything, whether we we actually do a physical activity or whether we we go to prayer. You know, going to prayer is an action. It's it's a decision of the will to go and do something. So, so that's how we are called to respond to everything in our Christian lives is is to act based on what is prudent and, and what, is, what is good for us and for the culture. And sometimes the act that we are called to do is to let go. Mm. And that's a hard thing to do for many people. That's contrary to what most people see as actions. Mm -hmm. I've got to get in and I've got to fix it. That's, you know, my dad was that way. He was a fixer. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, going through the psychological evaluations and the things that I've been through, I'm a fixer. So saying, I just have to let this go is hard. Yeah. And that can lead to anxiety and, and to frustrations. Um, and then we have to recognize that we live in a culture where everything that we're bombarded with has a purpose. You know, we go and we watch the news media or we, we listen to, to programming and stuff, and there's an agenda behind all that stuff. Uh, I'd like to say that it's not so, but 99% of all the media out there has a specific agenda that they're intending to, to put across every time they go on the air. And the largest part of the, the media in the United States has a purpose of at keeping people agitated because that's how they keep people listening. And so we, you know, we, we latch on to something that, that we think is going to affect our life and we, we listen to it on the news and when, they're, when they've got it on the news 24-7 like this virus has been for the last six weeks, a little bit better than that, okay. it just keeps us agitated and frustrated. and. And sometimes it's good for us to say, 
I just need to separate myself from that for a while. Maybe for good, especially when it comes to the media. There's, mm -hmm. we, we need to make decision, better decisions on the media that we, we watch and how much of it we watch because exactly. nobody needs 10 or 12 hours of media every day. And just listening to the stuff over and over and over again just leads us to, to frustrations and, and improper actions. So sometimes we've got to say, okay, I've got the information on this. I need to go and figure out what I can do about it. Right. Whether it's going out and doing something in a public way or going to prayer or, or just occupying myself with the things of my daily life to get myself away from that stuff. We need to make those good decisions in order to prevent ourselves from being in a perpetually ag agitated state because that's not healthy for anybody. Then we, we don't have to completely turn ourselves over to an ascetical lifestyle, um, but we can learn lessons from the monastics and, and take the opportunity to, to learn to allow peace to, to rule in our lives. You know, the love of God demands that we, we have peace in our hearts. And so we have to ask ourselves, just how do we achieve that peace? Uh, again, t today in our culture, we're, we're bombarded 24-7 with noise, and we rarely have an opportunity to, to find some quiet, a, just a quiet space to, to really just collect our thoughts and let our, let our minds be at peace for a while. So we, we have to figure out a way to do that. Um, you mentioned Catholic Radio, and I, the interesting thing that about Catholic Radio is um, the broad variety of, of people um, that are on the programs on Catholic Radio. You know, we ha we have some in Catholic Radio that you might that would have previously been um, called Holy Rollers or Fire and Brimstone, but we have a lot of people that are out there that are just you know teaching the truth. In, in a in a way that that really helps people to to be settled when they get done with the program. They're they're not in an agitated state, and they can, they can say, you know, that that makes sense, and that allows me to to really think about who I need to be, who I want to be, and and that's a, a really good part about Catholic radio is that that it allows us to the opportunity to to hear those good things and to be able to to use those things to affect the way that we live our lives. Now, I do need to, before we get to an end where I, I'm not going to have an opportunity, a, a couple of weeks ago we had an issue, um, and I'm not trying to get political on this or anything, but the, the governor made a mandate that, that was pointed to religious activities. And she didn't exceed what our bishops had already decided for our churches, so, so basically the Catholic Church did not really respond to the mandate that she put out. But there were a couple of churches that did respond, and they filed a lawsuit. And, and I think that it was really beneficial to all churches for these churches to do what they did. Um, we evaluate it, and we say, okay, well, if they weren't being more strict than what the, the Catholic Church was already being, then, then how could that benefit us? Because we have to recognize in our secular culture that when, when things are implemented, especially when they're implemented into law or into the the, the permanent record for the culture based on a political activity, that it's going to affect us down the road. Mm. Somebody else is going to say, look back and say, well, at that time, that person did that, and it was allowed. 
so we should be allowed to do what we want to do with it now. And so the, the, the two churches that raised the question and filed the lawsuit on that decision that the governor made was were really, first off, they were courageous, and they, they stood up and said, this is wrong. Um, and the fact that the government, the governor made a policy that specifically restricted churches went against our Constitution. It was an unconstitutional thing that happened. And so somebody needed to stand up and say that. Um, and some, fortunately, somebody did. And we have to have courageous people like that that are willing to stand up and say, okay, this crossed the line. And how do we get back on the other side of the line? And that's basically, if you listen to the, the whole activity um, in, in the courts, these people were just saying, you know, all we're wanting you to do is get back on the right side of this. And once that happened, then they dropped the suits and, and everything. And, and that's, you know, the way that we want to try to deal with, with everything that's problematic. We, we bring up the topic. We say, okay, there's a wrong here. How do we correct it? And what's the easiest way, the, the least problematic way to correct it? And then once that correction is in place, then we can, can let things go and, and get back on the, the normal flow of things. But we have to recognize that sometimes... Even in the in the broader culture, there are going to be things that, that have to be resisted. Mm. And we have to look at those and say, okay, is this really something that I have to resist or is this just something that I personally don't like? And if it's something that we don't personally don't like, then, then we can say, well, okay, I need to figure out a way to deal with this personally. But if it's a cultural thing that, that is going to be problematic now and forever, then and we need to stand up. Otherwise, we, we eventually end up like communist Russia or, or Germany and with the Nazis. And we, we can't allow culture to even get started down that direction. Mm. And those thoughts in and of themselves bring anxiety and, and fear to people. Um, but again, we have to learn to use the proper sense of evaluating those things and, and figure out what the best way to respond those is. And if we do that, then we should be able to rule out 99% of the fear that, that we come in with our, our first reactions, and we should be able to get rid of all the anxiety because we know that we're doing the right thing. And if we really know that we're doing the right thing, then anxiety should not be a part of that because God is going to bless it. Yeah. And so... That's, that's what I would call people to, to look at is evaluate sure. your response. If, it, if you've got anxiety built into it, then you're probably not doing what God is calling you to do with it. Mm. So. It's a great points, Father. We appreciate that this afternoon. We still have a couple minutes left. Any other final thoughts that, that you have before we wrap up? Well, I, I think I can, we can talk about a little bit about what the bishop has done. This, yesterday, the, the priest of the diocese got together with him on a – on a Zoom meeting, and and he talked about how we're going to start implementing things going forward. And first thing we have to recognize is that he's not going to make a decision that today we're going to open the churches and mass is going to go back exactly the way that it was before all this started. There's going to be restrictions based on social spacing, social distancing, and those requirements. So the the main thing that was discussed yesterday is that we have to we're going to initially say 
30% of the capacity of the churches is what we're going to be able to allow for the masses. That's problematic for a lot of churches because a lot of churches, even though we've got some churches have four, five, six masses on a weekend, and they're over half full at all those masses. Mm-hmm. So now how do we get below that 30% mark? Um, well, you can say, well, we just add more masses. Well, we've got priests that are doing six masses a weekend. If you've done six masses in a weekend, mm-hmm. you know that mm-hmm. you don't want to do six more. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so the, the first thing the bishop discussed is that he's not going to rescind the, the forgiveness for, for not being able to get to Sunday Mass. That's going to continue forward. We're, he's not going to implement a requirement to go to Sunday Mass again. But he's going to ask the people to recognize that there are more Masses in a week than just a Sunday Mass. The priests are saying Mass every day. So evaluate your situation, your schedule, and ask yourselves, when can I go to Mass during the week that's going to allow me to to get to a Mass where there's good distancing and we're not overcrowding and we're not causing a problem with the system? And you know, if that's on a Monday morning or a, a Tuesday night, make that decision that until we get back to where we can, can do things um, in a more normal way, then, then this is when I'm going to be regularly attending Mass. That also means that we can't have people going to every mass. You know, we have we have daily mass goers, and they love to be at mass every day. Um, but some of the churches, that's just not going to be possible because we're not going to be if we have everybody going to every mass, then then we're not going to have the capacity to allow everybody to get there. Right. So, so we have to decide. Okay, I'm, I used to go to mass six times a week. I'm going to cut it down to two times a week. Or I may have to go, you know, Hayes, you've got three churches here and a couple of churches surrounding. I may have to go to one of the neighboring churches where there's not a lot of people at a particular mass. And, you know, okay, so so there's a little bit of a problem with traveling there, but in Hayes it's not that big a distance anyway. Um, so you do that in order to allow people that, that need to get to one particular mass. That's the only place their schedule allows it for them to, to be able to get there. The... Some of the stores have implemented particular hours for the people that are most at risk. You know, Dollar General, I think, is their first hour when they open every day is is dedicated to to the people that are at risk. And we can say, okay, you know, we've got two or three masses during the week that we usually only have twenty or thirty people there. We're going to say that those are for we're going to designate those for the people that are at risk, so that they can come and participate in the mass but not have to worry about social distancing, not have to worry about being around other people that are going to possibly be able to give them the virus. So then we have to ask those people that are at risk to set, to look at that and say, you know, this is for your benefit. Um, how can you make that the best thing for you in this current environment? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, you know, some of our people were raised that where you go to mass every Sunday period. If if there's a mass available and you can get there, you go to mass. Well, for the time being, that might not be possible. So what do we do with that? How do I find peace in that new requirement? And figure out a mass you can go to. And learn to accept that, you know, if I get to one mass a week, then I've fulfilled my obligation to God. And 
it may be a Tuesday night or a Wednesday morning mm-hmm. instead of Sunday. That, right. That's different. It's a change. But it's also something that's going to allow them to really grow, to really think about their relationship with God and and how they're going to be able to live that out. So I think this is an opportunity for growth in faith and in, in virtue. So let's use it for that. Let's Let's take this new change, this new adaptation, and ask God how we can learn and grow from it so that we can be the person that he wants us to be. Thank you for listening to Divine Mercy Radio. Whether you're listening via radio, internet, smartphone app, or smart speakers, we appreciate you tuning in to this week's Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. If you would like to comment on today's show or have an idea for a future show, please go to dvmercy.com and click on the Double-Edged Sword icon. If you can help keep these great shows like Double-Edged Sword on the air, then go to dvmercy.com mercy.com and click on donate. You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio 101.7 KJDM Lindsberg and Salina, 88.1 KBDM Hayes and 88.1 KRTT Grape Band. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts.